Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Your posture impacts countless other aspects of your life. Whether you know it or not, and for good or for ill, for better or for worse, think for just a minute about some of the the good effects that can happen from good posture. Doctors tell us that if you have good posture, that it benefits your balance. And if you have good balance, then it helps to keep you healthy in so many other ways. That good posture can actually help your mood and your energy level. That good posture can even improve your self-confidence. As I see you all starting to sit up a little more straight in the pew. (laughs) And on the flip side, think about some of the consequences of poor posture. Doctors tell us that there are many, that if you have poor posture, that it can lead to all sorts of headaches and neck aches, of course, but also to heartburn and even to incontinence. So, your mom was right. Good posture matters. Sit up straight. It's important. And it's important in large part precisely because it happens so often under the hood, right? Under our kind of conscious awareness, your posture is like your default calibration. More often than not, you're not even thinking about it unless, you know, your mom or your preacher calls your attention to it. Otherwise, it's just happening. You don't think about it at all until, you know, you start to have all kinds of problems that sort of whack you in the face. And so it is also when it comes to the life of faith. Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about this topic of discipleship. And we looked at the process of discipleship. Last week, we talked about the call of discipleship. And today, Jesus begins his first formal teaching, we call the Sermon on the Mount, and the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, the famous Beatitudes, the blessings of Jesus. And in these Beatitudes, I want to say that he comes before us as our kind of chiropractor king, (laughs) aligning us with the posture of discipleship. And as we turn to the text, I want to start by asking, with what posture did the disciples descend upon the sermon? How are they walking? How are they standing? Now, undoubtedly, they're still pretty excited. They've got that first flush of excitement because they're part of a new venture, right? They're following this rabbi who's coming along, and they get to be part of his movement of proclaiming and enacting the kingdom of God. So there's some excitement there for sure. But you also can't help but wonder if they're starting to ask themselves, what have we gotten ourselves into? (laughs) As here we have left our stable livelihoods, we've walked away from our family and our community. Perhaps they've already started to get some pushback and opposition, if not outright persecution. That's not to say that they are second-guessing their decision to come after Christ Jesus, but You can imagine that as they descend upon the mountain that their posture is perhaps with a few droopy shoulders, some arms hanging, perhaps a few shuffling feet. I want us to think about that because I think this kind of context is key to our understanding of what Jesus says next. Because when he speaks to his disciples, he speaks to them not as conquering heroes, but as struggling followers. He addresses them not as the the winsome and happy-go-lucky, but as the weary and heavy laden. He talks to them as they are, which is weak. 
And what does he say? He says to them, the spiritually bankrupt are blessed. He tells them that those whose hearts are broken shall be comforted. He tells them that that those who have no earthly resources will in fact inherit the earth. He says to them that those who are feeling the, the pangs in their heart and in their soul for God's righteousness, that they shall be filled. He says to them that those who are beaten up and broken down for his name, that ultimately they will carry the day. That this is his blessing. The reign and rule of God belongs to such a one. What is he really saying in all of this? What what does he mean by these beatitudes? What posture is our chiropractor king commending to his disciples? There's a long strain of interpretation in the church, and it's still popular in many circles today, that says that what Jesus is commending here is really, he's, he's commanding more than anything. He's offering up virtues, ethical virtues for you and me to follow. He's telling us that we need to Stand on our own two feet. Puff out our chests. Clench our fists. Be ready to take on the world. But is that what he's really saying? I'll tell you a story. An ancient Chinese fable known as the empty pot. Now, once upon a time, there was an eccentric emperor And this eccentric emperor was getting up in age, and he did not have any children of his own. And so he started thinking about who was going to be the successor to his throne, who would be the heir of his kingdom. And this eccentric emperor, he loved flowers, and so he thought of a strange way in which to choose his follower, the one who would inherit his kingdom. He issued a decree to all the kingdom that all the the children of the kingdom should be gathered into his palace. When they came in one day, He gave to each and every one of the kids a seed. And he said, take this seed and grow it, plant it. And in a year's time, whichever one of you brings to me your best, I will choose to be the heir to my throne, the successor to my kingdom. So the kids ran away excited. All their families, their parents were excited. Who's going to be the next emperor of our realm? And as the year passed, many of them were growing flourishing flowers, great, big, beautiful plants except for one little boy, a boy by the name of Ping. And Ping, for all of his efforts, could not grow a single thing. He was putting in perfect uh, soil and all sorts of amendments, but nothing was happening. All he had was an empty pot. So finally, the year passes, and all of the kids come to the palace of the emperor with their big, beautiful flowers, and Ping comes, too, with his empty pot. One by one, The emperor starts going down the line, looking at all of the flowers of the children and looking at them with dismay. Until finally he comes to Ping and Ping is trembling, expecting to be punished. He's ashamed to be coming before the great emperor with simply his empty pot. But when the emperor comes to him, he stops. And a great big smile spreads across his face. And he says, I have found the heir to my throne, the successor to my kingdom. And Ping can't believe his ears. None of the kids can believe their ears. What? This one? All he's got is an empty pot. And 
the eccentric emperor says to them, you see, I gave to each and every one of you a cooked seed. It was impossible for it to grow. Where you got your seeds to grow your flowers, I do not know. But what I wanted to see was one who would come to me with an empty pot so that I might fill it with my kingdom. And that's how it is for you and me. When we come before our eccentric emperor, our kindly king, our Lord Jesus, you and I come before him as the great giver. We come with nothing and he gives everything. We come to him not in our strength, but in our weakness as those who are spiritually bankrupt so that he might fill us with his riches. We come with empty pots and he fills them with his kingdom, with all the blessings and riches of our heavenly home. That's who we are in him. Now, having received everything, that's our posture of discipleship. It's what author John Kleinig calls the receptive life. That's our posture. It's the receptive life. And what is the receptive life? In the receptive life, we lean on our Lord Jesus for everything. We rely on him for all. We come with nothing and he gives us everything. That's how it is, that we receive all from him. We can't stand on our own two feet, but instead our Savior says and even sings to you and me like the old Motown song, lean on me. When you're not strong, I'll be your friend. I'll help you carry on. So it is for our Lord Jesus. We can't stand upright. We are too frail, but you lean on him. He's the one who makes you stand. He's the one who upholds you. We rely on him for everything. And so kind of the, the primary embodiment of this posture of the receptive life is what? It's these cupped hands, right? Martin Luther said that faith is nothing but the empty hands that receive the good things of God. When we come before the Lord at his table, we come with cupped, empty hands to receive his good gifts, his very body and blood in the forgiveness of sins. We receive everything from him as we come with empty pots that he fills to overflowing. And flowing from this primary posture, then we have other gestures, right? That from this receptive life, there are other gestures of faith that we live. What are some of those gestures? Well, you could think of many, but let me name just a few. The receptive life kneels to pray. You know, nobody likes a mooch. Nobody likes a mooch, right? That friend you've got who's always calling and asking for stuff. You go out for dinner and, oh, I forgot my wallet again. Sorry about that. Nobody likes that person who's sponging after you for everything, who begs, borrows, if not steals. Nobody likes a mooch except for God. God loves a mooch. He would have it no other way. And that when we kneel to pray, we live out the receptive life as we beg, borrow, if not steal from our Lord and ask from him for everything. That's how he wants you and me to live. And so the receptive life kneels to pray. The receptive life also stretches out to bless. It stretches out to bless. See, this is the kind of the rhythm of faith that we are blessed to be a blessing. 
that having become blessed beggars of our Lord, beatified by him, then we reach out with that blessing to others. And especially, Jesus makes clear, especially those who don't like us. Hmm? It's easy to bless those that like us and whom we like. Not so much with our enemies. But Jesus says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Bless those who curse you. And so the receptive life stretches out to bless. And also, finally, it stoops to serve. See, we receive everything from our Lord Jesus, including his example. And he is the Lord who stooped down on his hands and knees in order to wash his disciples' feet. And in doing so, he said, I have left for you an example. So you and I also stoop to serve as part of that receptive life. Listen, in our epistle reading this morning, Paul, he set out the receptive life in his own words. He said, remember your calling, brothers. Not many of you are wise. Not many of you are strong. Not many of you are well-born. But this is how God works. He chooses those who are despised in the eyes of the world. He chooses the weak to shame the strong. Even those things that are not, he chooses you and me because of him. He is the, the source of your life in Christ Jesus so that Christ has become your wisdom and your righteousness and your redemption and your sanctification. You come to him with nothing and he gives to you everything, all the fitness he requires is that you feel your need for him. Because when you're not strong, lean on him. Amen. May the grace and peace of our God guard your hearts now and always. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Cass.